But Mark is absolutely right when he says that the majority of Christianity hasn't even heard this message. The majority of Christianity fights against the message of grace because they don't understand it. When you have religious programming that has taken place over centuries and generations, to break that in one generation is a very, very powerful and awesome and mighty work of God. We're actually seeing that take place in our generation. That religious strongholds that have formed over thousands of generations are actually going to be broken in one. That we're the generation that's going to repair the breach that raises up the desolation of many generations. Because we see ourselves through the eyes or the lens of the Lord. And when you see yourself as Jesus sees you, you no longer see yourself as unworthy, unvaluable, or unprofitable. You see yourself as valuable, worthy, and very profitable for the kingdom of God to establish his purpose in a generation that's dying so that this generation can live. We're going to see this transpire in one generation, and it's all going to be the hand of God working on the hearts of his people that brings real change and transformation into broken areas where people are broken, that brings real healing and deliverance to people who desperately cry for it but have no idea how to obtain it. We've become his witnesses of a resurrection, witnesses of a death. For we witness that he rose and we witness that we died. There's a transformational power that's in the gospel. And if I was going to entitle this message, it would be a transformed life. I was listening to a message earlier in the week, and this message, he was talking about the reality of the transforming power of the Word of God. See, when you live in something for so long, it's easy to get used to it. But when I was first born again, I realized I was transformed. I realized I was a new creature. But the longer that I persist in the new reality, it doesn't feel as new. Why would that be? If your newness of life, which can't be, but if it was taken from you, you would feel it instantly. It cannot be. But if it was, you would notice it instantly. Why? Because the new life that you have received has actually become part of who you are. It's become part of your everyday life. So because it's part of your everyday life, it almost feels normal or routine. And I can say I'm right because I've experienced it. <laughs> I'm not giving you a theology or some doctrine that I read about. I'm giving you real-life testimonies of how when I came to Jesus, my life was transformed. The things that I used to want to do, I didn't want to do anymore. I didn't. That doesn't mean that the thoughts, feelings, or suggestions weren't still there. I made an agreement because I read in Job where Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Therefore, will I not look upon a woman to lust after her? I read that and I made a covenant that day with my eyes. Satan couldn't get my eyes, and I'm not exaggerating, for a month straight, every night I went to sleep, 
it was like a porno was playing in my dream. And I would wake up to that, of what I just dreamed. So it doesn't mean that the thoughts, the feelings, or the suggestions still aren't there. Because this transformed life carries a power with it that doesn't originate from you, but is in you and can flow freely through you when you yield to it. I made a decision I didn't want to cuss anymore. But I didn't focus on not cussing. I actually focused on developing my relationship with the Lord. And one day I woke up and I couldn't remember the last time I had cussed. I couldn't remember it. But it's the transforming power that's actually in the Word of God when it's coupled with His Spirit that is inside of you. It gives birth to something that the world marvels at. They can deny the existence of God, but they can't deny the existence of God in your life. They can deny the existence of God, but they can't deny it in your life because you've become living witnesses of a better resurrection. Doesn't it say when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised with him? When Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised with him. What wasn't raised with him or with you is the old man. See, Satan likes to play tricks and try to actually prompt you or put thoughts in your mind to think that that old man is still alive because desires come to you. Desires don't come from within you. Now as a born again believer, now they come to you. There's a big difference, but if you can't discern the difference between you, God, and the devil, what thoughts are yours, what thoughts are God's, and what thoughts are the devil's, then you will be tricked and deceived into believing that what is coming to you is coming from you. But when you realize that your born-again spirit doesn't produce that stuff because that old man is dead, it's not connected to that. When you realize that that's not coming from you, it's coming to you, you can close the door to it so it can't get in anymore. It's the power of a transformed life because this gospel was always meant to bring transformation into the lives of the people that received it. And we have received of His grace. We have received of His grace. We've actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I can tell you that the Lord is good because I've actually seen some things. I've seen it. And me and Heather were having a discussion in the car one day and I was telling her, I used to desire to see the Lord face to face. You know, that's not even my prayer anymore. That's not even my desire anymore. I actually feel like if I seen him face to face, it would take away something. Because I feel like I know him. She was explaining to me of a dream she had, and she was telling me of how he looked. And I said, you don't have to tell me how he looks, because everywhere he is, it's unmistakable who he is. It's unmistakable. When you're in the presence of Jesus, I don't care if he comes like Heather's. He looked like a lumberjack with a beard. But that's how she sees her natural father. But it was the heavenly father. But if he came in another manner with a shaved face and no beard, it's unmistakable who he is. 
we live in the presence of God, and I don't know if that's become a real reality to the majority of the body of Christ, that I actually know him. I know him. I don't know of him. I know him. I feel like Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, if I say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like unto you. When we develop this relationship with God, we won't need to see anything. We actually know him. I know him. He's transformed me. I've been touched by his hand. I've been called by his voice. I stand in his presence and I rejoice in his truth. Because this is what he has made us as born-again believers. We are crafted into the image of God by the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And because that Spirit of God lives inside of you, you were raised from those dead places. And sometimes we visit graves of memories past, of another person in another life, because your life is hid with God in Christ. That's not you, not the reality of the truth of what lives inside of you because the life-giving Spirit of God inhabits your body to such an extent that when God looks at you, He sees His self. He sees His self. This is who you are. He is good. It's the transforming power. A life transformed. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 51, verse 1. He says, listen to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord, look unto the rock where you are hewn. You that follow after righteousness, look at the rock which you were cut from. We were cut from the rock that is Christ. That rock will never perish. It will never diminish. It will never lose its strength over time. And no, nothing else, the weight of anything else, can bust that rock. That's the rock of our salvation. That's our God. We bear his name. We're called Christians. The scripture says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. The first time was the church in Antioch. They looked so much like Jesus in the flesh that they started calling them Christians, followers of Christ. Hmm. <laughs> That's the transforming power of our gospel. Look into the rock where you are hewn and to the hole of the pit where you are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. The Lord shall comfort his people. Which now, because we are the children of God, Zion is a representation of his body, which is in the earth, which is his church. And this is a promise to us. It was spoken to them, but it was written for us. Otherwise, why write it down? Isaiah just would have spoken to them, and that would have been it. The same anointing when it was spoken to Isaiah when he received it is the same anointing it carried when he wrote it, and it's the same anointing when we read it. It doesn't diminish. Listen unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O oh, my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make judgment to rest for a light of the people. I will make judgment to rest for as a light for my people. 
Oh, Jesus actually bore the wrath of God. All judgment for sin was poured out on him. What came from that? Light for us. Life for us. Light and life came to us through him receiving judgment and his body that we deserved so that our lives can be transformed. Verse 5, My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. When did salvation go forth? When Jesus was raised from the dead. This is actually written way before the birth of Jesus. God is actually proclaiming a time to Isaiah that Isaiah had never experienced that Isaiah wouldn't experience. But we're actually resting in what was spoken to him, but written for us. And my arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on my arm shall they trust. That's upon my strength shall they rely. <laughs> Not our strength, but upon his strength, we shall rely. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever. Even when the earth passes away and we see a new heaven, salvation lasts forever because you might have been saved in a moment, but that salvation persists for all eternity. It's the confidence we have before our God that when he saved us, it was a finished work. That salvation really does endure forever. That I can't step in and out of salvation. That I was sealed on the day that I received the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. And that nothing that I do, the enemy does, or anyone around me can bust that seal. Because no man, demon, devil, none of them are strong enough to break the seal of God. Because there's a book in heaven called the book of life. And all of heaven Look for the keys to open it. And John said that we mourn because there was no one to open the book. And then they seen the lamb, the one who could open the book. There's only one person that can seal you and he'll never unseal you. It's the reality of our redemption. It was paid for us and we've been sealed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. We're new creatures. My life has been transformed by the Word of God because of the Holy Spirit of God. I have the life of God inside of me and so do you. You do too. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. I refuse to live a defeated Christian life. I refuse to do that. I don't care if I fall seven times, seven times I will get back up again because the Lord is my strength. I won't rest in the pit when he's called me to the palace. I can't do it. I was bought at a high price. I was redeemed with the blood of Jesus. I'm not going to sell cheap. Not now that I know my value. I won't sell cheap. Neither will you. Listen unto me, ye that know righteousness. This is the third time in these seven verses that he says, listen to me. So obviously the Lord wants us to hear something. 
He's not repetitive because we're slow. He's repetitive because it's important. Listen unto me, you that know righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law. Doesn't the Scripture say in that time, shall I write my law upon their hearts? That's in the time that we're living in. The law of the Lord is love which has been written upon our hearts. Hope makes not a shame. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revilings. For the maw shall eat them up like garments, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. You know that this scripture is true, because here we are in our generation, and salvation is still persisting, and it will persist. Amen. The Lord is closer to actually returning than he was in the Apostle Paul's day. And they were believing that it was going to be any time now. You know why the Lord waits? Why he didn't come back in their generation? Want to know why? Because salvation wouldn't be available for our generations. We'd have never been born. You know how many children God would be without that had never been born? Had he decided to come back? Take us and shut the heavens. We wouldn't be counted in the number that's going to be listed when that Lamb's book of life is read. <laughs> Thank God that he wasn't in a hurry to come back because all those people that didn't receive him at that time would have died in their sins. Because from generation to generation, salvation has persisted. And our salvation is everlasting. Verse 9, awake, awake, put on strength. O arm of the Lord, awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that has cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Oh, there was a great war in heaven. And the scripture says that Satan and one third of the angels was cast down to earth. It's in Revelations chapter 12, and there was no more place found for him. For had the princes, the rulers of this world, which is the enemy and his cohorts, had they known, the scripture says, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They would have never crucified him. Because in his crucifixion was our victory and our salvation and the enemy's defeat. He's a defeated foe. People say he's a worthy foe. No, he's not a worthy foe. He's a defeated foe. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that Satan is a worthy foe. It doesn't. It actually says that he walks about as a roaring lion. It doesn't say that he is a roaring lion. It says that he transforms himself into an angel of light. So what is the lion that he's walking around like? The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's trying to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ. See, our Lord Jesus is all-powerful. His ability to save is sure. Satan's ability to devour is not all-powerful. Neither is it sure. 
That's why when it says he walks about looking for whom he may devour, whom is a qualifier. That means he just can't devour anybody he wants. Once you're born again, you're actually put over the devil and his angels. You're not subject to them. You're not. Like curses and stuff that people are afraid of, it says in Proverbs that the curse causeless shall not come. <laughs> we were at the farmer's market and there's this lady, you can just tell she dabbles in witchcraft. And I just rejoice that I can't be cursed. She's trying to hand Faithy this crystal because she had crystals and all that stuff. And I just told Faith, put it back. It's laughable. You can't curse me. You can't curse what God has blessed. It's impossible. But if I have fear that I can be cursed, I allow the enemy access into my life. That's where actually strongholds try to take place because they're not coming from you. Remember, that stuff doesn't come from you, it comes to you. The moment that you realize that it's not coming from you, you can shut the door to it. It really is that simple. Verse 10, Are you, Lord, not him who has dried the seas, the waters of the great deep, and has made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? We serve the same God that parted the waters for Moses. We don't only serve him as children because we are children and we do serve. We're not just serving him as servant children. We're actually working with him as equals and co-heirs with Christ. That means we inherited the same work, labor, and reward that Jesus did. That means that we can be led by the same spirit that he was led by. We can bring deliverance on that level. We actually have the potential to hear the Father on the same level that Jesus did. You know, people pray for open heavens. The heavens have been open for over 2,000 years now. We walk, we live under an open heaven. The delusion to most Christians is that the heavens are closed. But if the blood of Jesus couldn't open the heavens, what would? Nothing. We live under an open heaven. Our prayers are heard by our Father. When people pray for me, I can actually feel it. Nothing supernatural or super spiritual, but you can actually feel it when people are praying for you even though you don't know who is. There's a strength that comes to you. If we see ourselves as righteous because the blood of Jesus made us righteous, we would know that our righteousness gives us access to praying and to being heard. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous person, they avail much. They prevail much. And we've been made righteous. And I would encourage you that the people that prayed so that you could see the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at move in your life, be those people for somebody else. I try to remember to pray for Mark and Val as much as I can. But the most easiest thing for us to neglect is praying for our leaders. Our leaders need it just as much, if not more, we need prayer. <laughs> but you look at your leaders and you think, man, they got it all together. They're so close to God. There's no way that God would let anything happen to them. The only reason why we're kept 
is because of the grace of God and people that prayed for us. <laughs> Our prayer gives God access to inhabit the things that we're praying about. But if we look at prayer as a religious duty, religious prayers don't transform you. The effectual fervent prayers, what really comes from your heart, they don't only just transform you, they transform people around you. I know because I was called out, I was prophesied over before I ever even came to the Lord. I, was, I had one foot in, one foot out. I was with Mark and Val. A guy named Mark Brendenkamp called me out of the crowd, told me I'd reach a lot of people for the Lord, which I believe I am right exactly where God wants me. And that this message of His grace is going throughout the world. And it's coming from here. It's coming from here. But he called me out of the crowd and he said that I spared you because of the prayers of the saints. Oh, that I was spared because people who were in relationship actually prayed for me? I believe that with my whole heart. I know the people who were praying for me. It was my aunt, my uncle, my mom. They prayed for me. And let me tell you something. They wouldn't see the fulfillment of their prayers for a long time. But no matter how far I ran, always found God there. I said, our prayers actually gives God the ability to inhabit the things we're praying about. You want to see change in people's lives? You want to see protection where destruction has been coming? Start praying for them. I don't think we know the power that we carry in the Spirit. Jesus told the disciples to pray lest you fall into temptation. That means that they could have avoided the temptation that Satan himself was going to try to bring just by prayer. It's our connection to God. We've been connected to him. Our prayer life is very, very, very important. And it's not two hours on your knees. I love those times. Most of us don't have that time. When you try to make that time in a busy schedule, you're cutting out something else that's important. It's true. God's not requiring prayer blocks. Thank God for prayer blocks. And there are people who pray around the clock in different times where they actually set time aside. Those are wonderful and magnificent. But if you are looking for that to sustain you, your prayer block, you're going to miss your whole day with the Lord. I mean, it could be something as the cashier's in a bad mood when you're walking out of the store and you just say, God bless them. I don't know what they're going through, but I ask you that you would bless them because I've had bad days too. I ask you that you would encourage them today. And if I can do anything to be a blessing to their life, let me know I'm willing. And if I'm not willing, I'm willing to be willing. Help me with that. <laughs> That's the truth. But that's the effectual fervent prayers that stem from your heart. Most people don't put themselves in other people's lives so they can't relate with them. But if you can put yourself in somebody else's situation, I guarantee that you will have compassion. And I guarantee that your compassion will actually bring transformation. Because it did in my life. Mark was very compassionate towards me when I didn't know the Lord. He would come and hang out with me and just spend time. We'd play basketball and it always ended around Jesus. But there's a genuineness 
to the Christian life or the Christian experience that other people want to experience because the world doesn't know love. They don't know the kind of love if they smack you, I just did you wrong, and you're actually turning the other cheek to me? I just asked you to go a mile and you're going to go the second one with me? They don't know that. Most Christians don't know that. That stems from relationship with God. Only relationship with God can actually transform us into that same image. See, a lot of people stop at salvation like Jesus came to save us. Jesus just didn't come to save us. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God so we could be saved. What brought death to Adam? He was disconnected from the life of God. Jesus repaired the breach and connected us back to the life of God. Salvation was the starting point, not the end. But if you think that Jesus' whole reason was to come to earth and die was so that you could be saved, you missed it altogether. The reason he came was to restore that relationship. And it's through that relationship with the Father that we find ourselves new. And we find that old man dead. And we can actually walk in a place of victory instead of living a life in defeat. I don't care what we're facing. We don't have to crumble apart. We don't have to follow apart. The Apostle Paul says this light momentary affliction, light and momentary. Have you ever read the stuff he went through? It didn't seem light or momentary. And I was talking to Heather this morning, and I said, any of the stuff we went through on this side of it, even if it was years, I said, you know what? It really seems light and momentary. <laughs> it just really does. But in the time I was in it, it didn't seem light, and it didn't seem momentary. But that's where patience comes in, and perseverance, and endurance, and hope. That's where that comes in. Because when our strength fails, there's something about depending, resting on the arm of the Lord, relying upon His strength. Because sometimes our gas tank runs out. All the time we need, but not all the time are we dependent. <laughs> all the time we need to be running on the strength of God. But it's sometimes when I hit them lows that I find that He's the strongest inside of me. And I can only speak from experience. At all time lows, I find the presence of God there. And it's amazing to me because it becomes a reality that you'll never leave me or forsake me. I really can't mess this up. That your life is constantly working inside of me to transform me into the image of your own son. That even when I fail and mess up, that life is continually working. When I was driving to church this morning, I had a picture inside of my head. I reached inside of myself and I was digging down and it was deep and it was like a well and all the water inside the well was oily and dirty and dark and as I was reaching around in, in the dark I touched something and what I touched was light but it was a seed in seed form and as soon as I touched it all those waters became pure waters. That's the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that is inside of us that lives and abides forever. It's not out here, it's in here. We've been saved, we've been sealed, we've been set apart. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. We are. This is who we are. So the transformation that we seek, the power for it is already inside of us. My old prayer life, I would look up. I would look up and pray to God because in my mind, 
He was somewhere out there. And it made me feel close to him. It really did something for me, honestly. Nothing's wrong with that. I don't look up now. I actually look inward. I focus inward. See, the receiver for our communication is inside of us. It's like if you have a phone. It's the way you call. It's the connection to the other end. If you don't have this phone, you're not connecting to anybody. But because I have a receiver inside of me that transmits to the other end, I have the ability to transmit everything that pertains to life to God and for God. Do you think God doesn't need us to do anything for him? No, he didn't, but now he does. Why? Because he made it that way. See, it's Father's Day. When I had children, my life changed. My life no longer just revolved around my will. Now I actually considered the will or the desires of my children. When God had children, his role changed. Did he ever have to need anything from us? No, he was sufficient in himself. Why would he put them limitations on himself to where actually to get something done, he would need us to do it? Because we're carrying on the family business. We've been called into a family. We've been given the tools that our family actually operates by. And then Jesus would say, go and make disciples. Go and make people just like you. Bring it back to their original creative purpose. Let them see this transformational power that's in this gospel through a life lived out. Hmm, does something for me. It does. Do you know that the scripture says that he who comes to God must first believe that he is? I would have never believed that he is had I not seen the reality of it in somebody else's life. <laughs> never. But because the reality of the presence of God was inside of Mark, he became the testimony, testifying to someone who was lost that actually was restoring right identity through relationship, pointing me to Jesus. It's the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. It lives and abides forever. Our Father is invested in your life. He's invested into humanity. He wants to transform us to the point to where everywhere we go, people actually see him. That doesn't happen through street evangelism. I was talking to my cousin Jesse this morning, and he was telling me about, I mean, he has such a vision for outreach. And I just told him, I said, don't get lost in the mission. Don't get lost in the mission. It's so easy to get our to-do list and to try to check them off. And we get lost in the mission instead of developed through the relationship. See, our whole purpose is to raise up people just like us. Our whole purpose in life is to point people to the Father through the Son. And there's some people who are desperately seeking the reality of a God. And all they've ever known from Christians are judgments. They don't know the Christian life as a life-giving gospel. They think it's a hard book of rules that we don't even follow. Well, two weeks ago, I worked with two different people, and they both confessed to be Christians, and both of them were telling me why they don't go to church. Because of Christians who lived 
as hypocrites. And then they started telling me what they supposed the Christian should be like. And it dawned on me that by their own standards, they confess to be Christians, but according to their own standards, they're not living up to it. <laughs> they had an idea of what a Christian should be, but they confessed to be Christians, and according to their own standards, they weren't living up to that. Does that mean they're not Christians? No, they're Christians. But do you know the scripture that says, in what measure you judge another, you yourself shall be judged? See, we're not meant to bring judgment to fellow believers. We're meant to bring the gospel. The gospel has the power in it to transform a life. Mark, I don't ever remember you giving me a list of stuff to do when I came to Christ. I don't ever remember that. He just kept pointing me to Jesus. Nobody even told me that I needed to stop listening to the music I was listening to, which was full of like adultery, violence, hatred. It was full of all that. Just because of through the relationship with Jesus, the gospel, me and Heather are driving in the car. All of a sudden, I feel super convicted about listening to this music, a song by Outkast. I had a big folder. I rolled the window down and threw it out the car on the highway. But nobody told me to do that. See, because if I would have did that, thinking that I'm going to draw closer to God, I just would have been missing a whole bunch of music. <laughs> it wouldn't have brought any life. But people think that they have to sacrifice in order to be transformed. All you have to do is draw close to God, and He says that I'll draw close to you. It's all it takes. And if you're not willing to do that, just be willing to be willing. Tell God, hey, I don't really feel like doing that, but I'm willing to be willing. And it says that God is the one who gives you the desire to do his will and the ability to perform it. So all you got to do is just be willing to be willing in order to be transformed. Just be willing to be willing. I'm not there, but I, I want to be there. And I know I can't get there without you. And I don't want to be there without you. So I can rest in some sort of gratification that I achieve something in the flesh apart from God? That's vain. Solomon actually said it's vanities of vanity, says the preacher. <laughs> That's what he says. That's a vain life. It's an empty life and it's unfulfilling in the end. But when we know that God's called us to do something and then he gives us the ability to do it, all glory returns to him and it always turns out for our good. It's the power of this incorruptible seed, the word of God that we have in our hearts. We have it in our possession. We have the life of God inside of us. Remember, the receiver's inside. We don't have to look up to pray. And like I said, I used to do that and it did something for me. But I don't do that no more. I look on the inside. Inside is my receiver. It's the Holy Spirit. He's connected straight to God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And then it says in Corinthians that the Spirit searches all the deep things of God and then reveals them unto us. Why? Because they're connected to each other and we're connected. There's never a time you call and say, hey, are you there? And the angel picks up the phone and like, he's, he's out right now. He's out to lunch. <laughs> if you call back around 530, he'll be here. <laughs> That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen because we're di directly connected to him. Amen. It's a transformed life. And like I said, when I listened to that message earlier this week, 
about transformation. It's like it was just feeding me. Because it's almost like you forget how far you've come until you look back. (laughs) And you say, wow, God, we've been walking hand in hand for all this time. And you're taking me somewhere. That I can trust and have confidence in the person of who you are. That you love me with an everlasting love. And that your love has never diminished for humanity over all these years. Because in every generation, God's children are there. Amen? Let me pray for you, God. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for this Father's Day. I want to thank you for Mark and Val. God bless them. And I thank you for the heart that you've put in them, that they really do have your heart, Father. I bless your name and I bless your people and I thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. I thank you for the privilege of being called your son. I thank you, Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, that it was for the joy set before you that you endured the cross. I thank you that this transformational power of your Holy Spirit coupled with your word, Lord God, that it's able to change any environment because you are there. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.